it's so good to hear so um, so many conversations um, about this. I think that um, stories are something that we all really gravitate towards and um, uh, can get a lot out of. So um, my name's Abby, and today I'll be doing the Bible reading. Uh, today's Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 35. Before we read, I'm just going to quickly pray for the sermon reading. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we can all gather today on this chilly morning um, to read your word, to encourage each other and to hear it preached. I just pray, um, yeah, that you would be with us today and that you would grant us understanding as we read your word and hear it preached. Um, Yeah, I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those with wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby, for the Bible reading. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, A warm welcome to you all. It is very cold this morning. I was struggling to get up this morning uh, out of bed. Uh, My name's Felix, one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet. Uh, And today we'll be looking at the topic of the gospel uh, and how that relates to singleness. And so the question I want to think about uh, from the very beginning is how are we to think about singleness and marriage? Now, it's not an easy question to answer. Should I wait or should we just let it keep going? Yep, cool. Uh, It's not an easy question to answer, is it? Uh, If we look at the world around us, the world seems to have a schizophrenic take on marriage and singleness. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you have those who will tell you, you must avoid marriage at all costs. Look at the divorce rates. Over 50% of marriages end up in divorce. So all marriage does in the long run is to make Uh, divorce lawyers rich. Why tie yourself down to one person, people say. Enjoy the freedom of the single life. And yet, when you look at all the rom-coms of Hollywood, 
movie after movie, you see a completely different message, don't you? Movie after movie of the lonely protagonists wasting their life away in their dark apartment until finally the movie ends triumphantly when they marry their Mr. Darcy or whoever it is, fade to credits, and we believe that they're to live happily ever after. Keep looking for the one, and then you'll find true happiness. See, that's the dream that's being held up on the big screen time and time again. And so what, what are we to make of marriage and singleness when the world is telling us such conflicting messages? But what makes things worse is that sometimes the church community can have a bit of a schizophrenic take on singleness and marriage too. Uh, some people might try and, and comfort those who are struggling with singleness, holding out the gospel and saying, you should be content with Jesus. You don't need marriage. You should be happy in Jesus alone, and that's it. But then, still others, they undermine that very sentiment by sliding in unhelpful comments. Maybe they might make a joke about your singleness. Maybe they're just constantly trying to introduce you to someone when you haven't asked for that. Maybe it's concerned family or relatives who are constantly reminding you that the clock is ticking. See, for some of us, this might just be a trivial annoyance, but for others, it's not trivial at all. It's a source of deep grief and frustration. And so how are we to think about marriage and singleness in light of the gospel then? And so this talk will be split into two main parts. The first part will be really quickly looking over the theology of marriage and singleness. And in the second part, we'll try to apply uh, what this theology means for us practically. Uh, not only for those who are single, but also to those of us who uh, are married as well. And so the first thing that we, I want to uh, point out is that marriage is actually the key to understanding the gospel. Marriage is the key to understanding the gospel itself. Marriage is so important to understand because we're not simply talking about here is the gospel of Jesus and the cross over here. And here is marriage over there. And let's just today find out how this thing over here informs this thing over here. But rather, marriage itself is the primary picture of the gospel itself. God himself is described as the husband to his people Israel. Can I have the next slide, please? Thank you. Uh, and Israel's rejection of God is pictured in terms of adultery. Might be a bit hard to read, sorry. Uh, God saves and restores his people like a husband who redeems an unfaithful wife. And the very last picture, the closing image is of, of the entire Bible is the perfect marriage between Christ and the church. So we must not reduce marriage down to the means by which we fulfill our own needs and desires. Marriage simply as a way to fulfill our need for companionship or sexual fulfillment. It's not simply a way for us to pull our resources together so that we can afford to buy a house together as the house prices keep going up. Marriage isn't simply the next step. It's not a more intense version of friendship. See, marriage can provide all those things for sure, but there's a profound theological purpose of marriage here. Marriage itself gets its meaning, gets its immense worth from the fact that it's mirroring the picture of the gospel the reality of God's unbroken commitment, his faithfulness to his people, the undevoted, exclusive commitment that we as God's people ought to have to God 
the righteous anger even and grief when we turn away from God, that is expressed in broken marriages. The the incredible forgiveness of God towards his wayward people. See, throughout the Bible, marriage is the metaphor that we constantly see to help us understand God's love for us. And so, if that's true, how does that change the way we think about marriage as Christians then? Uh, For those of us who went to the marriage seminar uh, last week, we've already looked at Ephesians 5 in detail, but let's just quickly run through this passage again. Uh, And here, let's not just focus on what Paul tells wives and husbands to do, but let's focus on the reason for this. See, why should wives submit to their husbands? And remember from last week, submission is voluntary. It's, not, uh, it's, it's meant to be freely given. It's not demanded or coerced by the husband. Uh, but why submit in the first place? Because it reflects that reality that we just talked about. It reflects the church's right response of submission to Christ. Why should husbands love their wives sacrificially? laying down their own lives for their benefit at the cost of his convenience, his comfort, his ambition. Well, it's because that mirrors the other reality, how Christ totally gave up his own life for the church. See, that's the fundamental motivation, the driving force behind why Christian husbands and wives are to respectively sacrifice, to lay down their lives for the other person and to willingly submit to the other person. It's a picture of that perfect sacrifice of Jesus for the church. It's a picture of willing submission of the church to Christ as the right response. Christian marriage mirrors the unseen marriage between Christ and the church. Christian marriage done right is supposed to be evangelistic because marriage ultimately points to the ultimate marriage between Christ and the church. Human marriages are to mirror that perfect love, sacrifice, and submission to of Christ for the church, and the church, sorry. But is that it? Is is it that marriage derives its worth from the gospel marriage and that's it? Is it that human marriage itself has no value apart from that? Well, no, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? It's because human marriage reflects that perfect heavenly marriage that it is so good. In human marriage, we get an imperfect but still wonderful taste of that heavenly marriage because there are real advantages to marriage, aren't there? And so it's, it's good. It's really good to be able to share your life with someone, one who you can be vulnerable and intimate with that you can't with anyone else. It is good to, have, to mutually support a spouse who, who together with you are striving together to please God and to serve his kingdom. And as God made us sexual beings, it's good to be, be able to express that through a lifelong exclusive commitment between a man and a woman. It is good to have kids and go through the joys of raising kids and leading your family to know and love Christ. It is good to know that there is someone out there who loves you for all your faults, for all your really annoying habits, for all your bad smells. And this might be different for everyone, but there is a sense that marriage makes you feel full, doesn't it? God designed us, male and female, for marriage. And that fullness might be uh, felt in terms of status. Uh, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, uh, I'm a mom or a dad now. It might be felt in terms of leaving behind a legacy. It is because human marriage reflects that perfect marriage that these human experiences can be so good. 
this point you might be thinking, hey, I, I thought this sermon was meant to be about singleness. How come so far all we've heard about is marriage? Well, the question for, now, for us now is this. If marriage is this picture of the perfect heavenly marriage, if it is a picture of this gospel, if there are such good advantages of getting married, then what does it mean for those of us who aren't married? What does it mean for those of us who can't see ourselves getting married anytime soon or perhaps at all? Does this mean that we can't experience that, that full blessing of human life? Are we missing out on one of the biggest blessings that God has given us? And I think this is really where seeing the gospel can really come in to shape our view of singleness. Because if we reflect on how human marriage reflects the greater reality of the gospel, then all the good blessings of human marriage, when we consider all of them, there's a far greater expression and experience of that that we will finally experience on the final wedding day between Christ and the church. Yeah, the church that we are all part of. We will experience full and true intimacy. Not the imperfect intimacy that we, we see in human relationships now here on earth, but true intimacy with the one that we know loves us deeply, who knows us better than we know ourselves. We will truly be part of a relationship that lasts forever, that has no till death do us part clause. And the best part of it is that we can already begin to experience the blessings of this marriage right now. Because we know for a fact that God loves us despite knowing our deepest faults and failures more than we know ourselves. We know that because Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. That when God sees us now, we know that there is now no condemnation. In Christ, we have perfect righteousness even as we keep growing in maturity and sanctification in this lifetime. And as Jesus declares that those who are truly his family, his mothers, his brothers and sisters, who are they? Jesus tells us in Matthew 12 that those who do the will of the Father are his mothers, brothers and sisters. That is, in God's kingdom, there is now a spiritual family that transcends biological family. A family that isn't simply temporary, but it's everlasting. A family that isn't brought about biologically, but by God's spirit, bringing us to new life, breaking down the barriers of hostility and uniting us perfectly as his children. And in this family, those who have not experienced the love of a father or a mother those who might have lost a father and a mother, well, they can now experience the love of a spiritual father or mother in the church community. That's how close the bond is that God has created in our church. Those who don't have children can go through, through the church family, be part of raising up spiritual children as well. Uh, when Sarah and I uh, had Beth and later Josh, one thing that we were quite keen to do was to dedicate them at, uh, before God in front of the church uh, when they were babies. For us, it was a public declaration um, that we were committed to raise up Beth and Josh to know God's word and to foster them to see that God loves them so much and so that one day they might follow Jesus themselves. But as I was standing there in front of the church um, dedicating both Beth and Josh, what really stood out to me was actually when the church was asked to stand up 
and, not, and they also made commitments to support Sarah and myself in this. But not only that, the church made a commitment that they too would be helping to spiritually care and nurture and raise up Beth and Josh to know Jesus. And it was just a wonderful thing to witness. But that's what we are now. When you make a commitment to follow Jesus, to be part of his body, to be part of his church, you've entered into a spiritual family. Friends, I hope you feel that. Look around you. Look at those sitting next to you, behind you. Do it. And know, know that you are sitting next to a brother, a sister in the Lord. You are part of a relationship that no one can take away. No matter if you're single, in a relationship, or if you're married. You are part of God's family. You are being transformed with all your other brothers and sisters in Christ that will grow, that will be transformed into maturity for all eternity, that will last for all eternity. And so that's the first thing that we need to realize, particularly for those of us who are longing for marriage, who, who long for a family of their own. Please know that you are already part of a much more perfect family than you could ever hope for on earth. You will receive, as you long for that, you will receive in Christ, and it will be beyond anything that you will experience in human marriage alone. You already have a taste of that spiritual blessing right now. Please know that not experiencing human marriage doesn't mean you're missing out on anything that you won't enjoy in far greater measure spiritually one day. But the second thing we need to remind ourselves of is that there are significant advantages to singleness as well. See, unlike that unrealistic, idealistic picture of marriage that, that we get blasted at us uh, from Hollywood, uh, marriage being the perfect solution to all our problems as singles, well, marriage on earth can actually be quite hard sometimes. Sometimes very, very hard. Uh, during the marriage seminar, I, I thought it was really helpful how Jim described marriage in our age as marriage outside the garden outside the garden. It's not perfect anymore. That is, we need to view marriage with that lens on, that even as we have been redeemed, even as we are being sanctified by Christ, we are being transformed, yet still we are living under the curse of Adam and Eve. And so in marriage, there will always be power struggles. There will always be unwillingness to love the other person sacrificially. There will always be an unwillingness to submit. And as singles, we can be scared of that. Uh, but also, if our lives are to be shaped by the gospel, then if we are to be living our lives working toward building God's kingdom, if tri truly gospel-shaped, then our number one priority is to be making devoted disciples of Jesus Christ for God's glory. And if that really is our number one goal, then the Apostle Paul tells us in the passage that we read out today that singleness can be of great value. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, 
and that you might live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. See, the reality of marriage is that you simply won't be able to serve God in a focused way as you would if you were single. It's just practicalities. That's just the reality of the world that we live in. Because if you are to live rightly as a Christian husband or a wife, then you need to take care of the needs of your spouse and your children. That is your main responsibility. Now, that's a very valuable ministry. I don't want to downplay that by any means, and we'll see that in a couple of weeks' time as well. But the time, the emotional energy spent on building the marriage, raising kids, as good as those things are, practically they just mean that you won't have as much energy and time for ministry, for serving. And so Paul says, no, please know that singleness can be a precious gift to be able to serve God more. Now, at this point, I just want to speak to those of us who might be very content in our singleness. Uh, Some of us might think, oh, I'm single, I'm content. Uh, So I I consider it a form of piety. I'm so, yeah, righteous. But the thing is, some of us might be enjoying our singleness for the wrong reasons. Because it means we have so much free time to do whatever I want. Uh, Maybe it's to travel overseas at, at at the first sign of the international borders opening. Maybe it's so that I can play video games on hours on end and no one's going to judge me for that. We can spend all our money and pleasures, uh, whatever keeps us entertained and satisfied as we see our collection of luxuries and gadgets grow. But is that what Paul is talking about when it comes to making the most out of our singleness? And so let me ask you a question. How are you using your singleness for God's glory? Are you taking this opportunity to find new ways to serve God with your time? Are you seeking to serve your church family more and more with the gifts and talents that God has given you? See, if we really want our singleness to be shaped by the gospel, then simply being content in our singleness is not enough, is it? Rather, we need to allow our singleness to to be used for God, to think about intentionally how we can be using our spare time for God's glory. But what if I'm not content in my singleness? What if I really do want to get married? Well, one thing I really want to say to you is that your longing is valid. Because this desire in and of itself isn't wrong. Because singleness can really be hard, can't it? You might experience loneliness maybe at special times of the year, like Christmas or holidays when everyone... Um, goes away with their family and does family stuff. It might even bring about low self-esteem. Why doesn't someone want to marry me? You might face a whole range of triggers, rejection, friends getting married, big decisions, siblings having children, the, the cock ticking or whatever, opportunity gone to have children. The challenges to singleness can be really real and they can be really heavy. And so how then do we let the gospel shape our struggle with singleness? Well, the first thing is, make sure we come before God as our Heavenly Father. Come to Him honestly, openly, acknowledge your deep feelings and longings to God. Because we have a God who isn't up there just judging us, saying, come on, get over it. But God wants us to come before Him as our Abba Father our loving creator, our generous provider of all our our needs, our savior who blesses us with every spiritual blessing. And Jesus, 
We have Jesus, our perfect intercessor, who understands exactly how we feel. He understands our, our human longings, particularly as a single person as well. And as we do so, as we keep coming to God, trust that God has a good plan for you, regardless of whether you are trying to seek out a marriage partner or not, regardless of whether you will find a marriage partner or not. Now, when I was younger, a significant, significant struggle that I had uh, was with my singleness. Um, even before I was a Christian, I always wanted to find someone and get married. Uh, but as a young Christian, I actually couldn't see it happening. I'd been turned down a couple of times. Uh, I didn't see how anyone would want to go out with me, uh, let alone marry me. But I do remember this one time, as a young Christian, I remember praying this prayer. I said, Lord, I would really like to get married one day. And so if it is your will, would you please provide for me in this way? But Lord, if it isn't your will, please help me to be content with your plan. And see, looking back on that day, I think that was a truly pivotal moment for me, especially in my, young, in my growth as a young Christian. Because as I was growing in my head knowledge about God's sovereignty, he was in control, he had a plan. As I knew about God's love for me, his perfect love for me, that day I took a step to allow theology to be put to the test. That day I allowed theology to be put into practice. Because as I was asking God, making this request that I really felt really strongly about, I was asking God to help me accept whether it was part of his plan or not for me to get married and that I might accept his plan, even if it's not something that I would choose. If you're struggling with your singleness, is this something that you might consider praying? And when we think about, about what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7, if serving God and his kingdom is truly the most important thing in our hearts, then there's actually another more scary prayer that I think we can be praying for as well. Think about this prayer. Lord, if I am able to serve your kingdom best, if I remain single, would you please continue to give me the gift of singleness so that I can serve your kingdom best? Is that a scary prayer to pray? Is that something you're willing to pray? Right? Remember, why are we here for? Remember what we have already in the gospel. Remember our goal. And remember, trusting in God's sovereignty means that we ask, that we pour out our wishes and feelings of longing. We do so, though, with a willingness to accept that God might have a different plan for us. We come trusting in the God who has already saved us in the most incredible way. We trust that even if God chooses not to provide a spouse for us, as much as we long for one, that it in no way diminishes God's love for us. It in no way means that God is somehow holding back something that is good, what is best for us. Will you pray these prayers? Okay, so we've just seen that singleness can be good. But does that mean it's okay to look for opportunities to pursue relationship uh, when you are single? Right? Paul here is very careful to explicitly say it is not sinful to pursue marriage. Right? It becomes a matter of considering how you can be serving God best. In fact, if we read on, Paul mentions that if, if, if finding someone, if uh, looking for marriage is something that you're burning with desire with, then, 
that person should go on to pursue marriage. But what are some guiding principles then for us to think about when it comes to dating or pursuing a relationship? Well, I'll just mention a a few really brief notes here. First, please keep in mind what we've seen about God's intention for marriage, that it mirrors the relationship between Christ and the church. We have to keep that front and center. And so even with all the temporary benefits of marriage, remember that marriage isn't primarily here to satisfy our desires, but it's to honor God. So remember that as you're seeking to reflect the gospel. We need to find someone then that will help us grow to imitate Christ and who can help you grow in, and who you could help them grow in their holiness. And together, as you help each other grow in your holiness and imitate Christ, you're better able to mirror that redeemed relationship between Christ and the church. And so that means a love of Jesus ought to be right there at the top of your priorities when you're seeking someone. If you have a list of qualifications, then that has to be the number one thing that you're looking for. Do they love Jesus? Second, remember that you have a permanent spiritual family that you are now part of, the church. Okay, so think about what healthy families do. A loving, healthy family affirms when a relationship is headed in the right direction, in line with God's intentions for marriage. They offer encouragement and support to those seeking to honor Christ together, right? And so just think about, like, we're all part, a lot, many of us here are culturally part of uh, an Asian background. And what do Asian parents uh, look for culturally, typically? Well, you make sure that they've got a job, make sure that they're secure, make sure they're a nice person and all that. And, but what, what about spiritually then? As a spiritual family, what are we to look for? Well, we, we are to make sure that the, the partners that, those of us here, together as a family, are, are seeking relationship, that they have the things that we care about most. Are they a godly person? Are they seeking Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Are they growing in their maturity? Right? And so a healthy family would affirm and encourage that. But on the flip side, a healthy family also speaks the truth in love when they see it not happening. So as hard as it is, they might say something like, hey, are you sure you want to pursue this relationship? Have you thought carefully where this is going? Right? And so for those of us who are pursuing relationship, will you be supported by your spiritual family? Are you going to listen to what might be actually hard to hear if it is for your spiritual well-being? But then it also means that for all of us, we need to be stepping up as the church family to love our unmarried brothers and sisters, whether that is to encourage them and to support them, but also to gently correct and and, and, uh, gently, firmly uh, correct them out of love. But let's talk more about this church family and how we can be helping those, not only just dating, but those who are single uh, and might be struggling in their singleness. And so as a church family, one of the first things that we need to do is to make sure that we use our words carefully. Please don't be careless or to be joking about someone's singleness. I've done this many times in the past myself, and I really regret doing so, that I've caused hurt uh, to my brothers and sisters who are single. Because so often we can make light of someone's singleness, right? Trivialize it. It's a joke. 
or equally as unhelpful is to go the other extreme and to speak of their singleness as if it's the worst thing in the world that they're going through, right? Doing so just contradicts the value of single Christians as we've already seen in God's word. And so instead, use your speech to build up, to encourage, to support. Speak genuinely. Speak genuinely about the treasure that we already have in the gospel, the perfect relationship that we are already part of. Do it often. Remind them often. See, you might even grieve with your single brothers or sisters as they struggle in in their singleness. Help them to acknowledge their longing and, and help them to bring them to our Heavenly Father in prayer. And you can also pray for them and with them. Do that together as a family. Another way that those of us, particularly those of us who are married, can help those who are single us is simply to invite them into our lives. So often once we get married, uh, we slowly stop hanging out with our single friends as we find that you know, there's a bit of a gap between our experiences. And we end up slowly just only spending time with other married couples or families with kids so that our kids can play together and whatnot. And this can just further highlight the struggle for those feeling like they're missing out when their married friends no longer want to hang out with them or make time for them. And so instead, can I encourage us, uh, married folk, to make an effort to share life together? And this is particularly true of those of us who have kids because it can be so easy once we have kids to be so self-absorbed as we're trying it so hard to just survive at times. But how about inviting singles to help play with the kids? Then you get to share that joy of raising kids with those who might love kids so much but might not have a chance to have their own. And in the process, you might get a bit of a break as well. And of course, as we openly share our lives together in the process, it would be helpful for us to show the rougher edges to married life. See, unlike the unrealistic picture that Hollywood keeps flooding us with, marriage can be very hard. As good as marriage can be, it also brings a whole new set of problems and struggles. Uh, We went down to Sydney a couple of months ago and Sarah met up with one of her friends who used to uh, struggle with singleness um, and they caught up for lunch. And I asked Sarah, how did that, that meeting go? How's your friend uh, coping with her singleness now? And Sarah said, oh, she's actually quite content in her singleness now. Uh, so I asked her, oh, wh- why? What happened? That's, that's great. And she said, well, I've just been sharing very honestly about my struggles. Our, our struggles uh, in our marriage. She uh, just openly uh, mentioned some of the struggles about uh, submitting to me and the things that I have been doing that have been unhelpful. And I thought, that's that's great. I mean, on one hand, I don't want to be, you know, spoken of badly, but that's great that our struggles in marriage could actually be helping someone to see the reality of how hard marriage can be. So married women, have you thought about meeting up one-on-one with a younger single Christian woman to open up God's word together with them, but also, as you do that, to share your lives together? As you pray for another, share how hard marriage can be, the conflicts, the hurt feelings. Ask for prayer when you're feeling bitter and resentful. Not in a spiteful way to put down your husband's behind his back, complaining about all his annoying habits, not like that, but to share how you're finding it really hard when you're not feeling loved. Share 
how it's hard when you're finding it really hard to submit. Share your struggles honestly so that those seeking marriage can see that it's not as easy and perfect as Hollywood might say it is. And of course, this goes for blokes as well. And in, in, many, in many cases, it's, it's harder for us blokes to open up like that. But do so. Meet up with other men. Play sport with them. Do something. Do an activity with them. Right? Share God's word with them as well. And as you do so, open, uh, share openly about your struggles in marriage as well. See, as we share our lives together, remember to remind ourselves that as good and as hard as human marriage is, there is a much bigger, far more deep and richly satisfying marriage that awaits us. One that will perfectly satisfy all that we could ever hope this human marriage might give us. And so let us keep trusting in our Lord and Saviour, whose love for us, whose acceptance of us in all our failing, the one who would never let us down, the one who is perfectly faithful, the one that we can totally be secure in. All of this we already know because he died for us on that cross. So let us keep trusting and living for Jesus, no matter if we're single or married. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have given us this picture of marriage so perfectly throughout the Bible. And ultimately, thank you so much that this is a marriage that we can all take part in no matter who we are, no matter our circumstances, no matter if we get married or not in this human life. Father, please help us to see how rich, how valuable, how much of a treasure this truly is. Set our eyes on that hope, Lord, so that whether we're single or whether we're married, we are not placing our hope and dreams in what is imperfect, in what is temporary. We do pray for those of us here who might be struggling in their singleness. Lord, will you make your love really clear to them? May you help us as a church family to support them, to really be the family that you have given the church that, that we see in your word. Please grow us, Lord, so that we can keep looking to Jesus together, that we can support and encourage uh, one another. In Christ's name we pray. Church, we now come to a time of...